episode of the Bible Podcast. I wanted to start out today with a quick prayer before we jump into the book of Exodus. Blessed Jesus, in the comfort of your love, we lay before you the memories that haunt us, the anxieties that perplex us, the despair that frightens us, and our frustration at our inability to think clearly. Help us discover your forgiveness in our memories and know your peace in our distress. Touch us, O Lord, and fill us with your light and your hope. Amen. So today we're going to be covering chapters 16 through 18 in the book of Exodus. We'll get right into chapter 16. Mana and quail from heaven. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. Between Elam and Mount Sinai, they arrived there on the 15th day at the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for the day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food and then they prepare it. There will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. What have we done that you should complain about us? Then Moses added, The The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the evening, in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Then Moses said to Aaron, Announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness. There they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp, and the next morning the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, It is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. 
Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, Do not keep any of it until the morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. After this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart from before the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning just as Moses had commanded and in the morning the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor Moses said eat this food today for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord there will be no food on the ground today you may gather the food for six days but the seventh day is the Sabbath there will be no food on the ground that day some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day but they found no food The Lord asked Moses, How long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. The Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Fill a two-quart container with manna to preserve it for the descendants. Then later generations will be able to see the food I gave you in the wilderness when I set you free from Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Get a jar and fill it with two quarts of manna, then put it in a sacred place before the Lord to preserve it for all future generations. Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He eventually placed it in the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. So the people of Israel ate manna for forty years until they arrived at the land where they would settle. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. The container used to measure the manna was an omer, which was one-tenth of an ephah. It held about two quarts. Here in chapter 16, next to our need for water, our need for food is the most critical. Again, the Israelites failed to believe that God would meet their needs. They lacked faith in God's power and still didn't understand their privileges as God's people. But God faithfully provided for them anyway, and their faith was further strengthened. This example of God's gracious gracious provision should encourage us to seek help during the wilderness periods of our own lives. Chapter 17 Water from the Rock At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. 
So once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Masa, which means test, the Meribah, which means arguing, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? Israel defeats the Amalekites. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it loud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, They have raised their first against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. Here in chapter 17, as we undergo the process of spiritual renewal, we may be hindered repeatedly by the same old mistakes. We have certain weaknesses that haunt us time and again. The Israelites displayed this same tendency. They rebelled against Moses' leadership just because of a short-term lack of water. To make this place a monument to the people's lack of faith, Moses named it Masa, meaning test, and Meribah, meaning arguing. This means uh, these names would remind the people of their past mistakes and hopefully encourage them to be wiser the next time. We need to be reminded of our past mistakes from time to time in order to avoid them in the future. And verses 8 through 16, we see the people had just put God on trial, testing him and wondering whether he was with them. In response, God overwhelmed the Amalekite forces in battle. 
In so doing, he employed an instructive visual aid. Moses stood up on a hill in full view of the people and the battlefield. When his hands were raised, the Israelite army prevailed. The raised hands did not speak of the power of Moses, but rather the power of God. Through such incidents, Israel was to learn that their freedom was dependent on their faith in God, not on their own strength. Chapter 18 Jethro's Visit to Moses Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife, Zipporah, and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and two sons with them, and they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent a message to Moses, saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed them. They asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in the sacrificial meal in God's presence. Jethro's Wise Advice The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, Because the people came to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them to his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people, too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you 
Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. Here in, in chapter 18, this episode reveals that Moses had a difficult time accepting his limitations and living a balanced life. Jethro gave Moses some wise and creative advice, helping him to protect himself from the extensive demands of the people. But even this good advice did not solve this problem for Moses once and for all. His tendency to assume that God expected him to do everything shows up later on in a slightly different way. There, Moses appears near exhaustion, just as Jethro had predicted. We need to accept our limitations and set appropriate boundaries in our own lives. Maximizing the use of the time and energy we have while also protecting ourselves from exhaustion. So in today's reading, just 45 days after God's miraculous deliverance, the Israelites are grumbling and wishing they were back in Egypt, where the food was better. But all their complaints against Moses are actually complaints against God. Complaining reveals our view of God and His provision. God hears their grumbling, but He doesn't punish them for mistrusting Him. Instead, He promises food and makes Himself known in the cloud in case they'd forgotten that it's not just a regular cloud they're dealing with. He promises to give them bread in the morning and meat in the evening. This manna seems to serve a, thre a threefold purpose. It serves a practical purpose by feeding the people. It serves an eternal purpose by glorifying God and showing His power. And it serves a spiritual purpose by testing the people and training them to trust God. He says to gather manna every day except the Sabbath, which is the Hebrew name for the seventh day of the week. What we call Saturday, God is testing for potential pitfalls in their thought life. Will I have a scarcity mentality and try to hoard the manna, or will I trust it? We'll be there again tomorrow. Am I willing to work twice as hard gathering on Friday in order to set on Saturday? Will the food I gather on Friday be enough to carry me through Sunday morning? Will God keep his promise to provide for me if I stop to rest as he has commanded? God hasn't given them the Ten Commandments yet, but he's been hinting at the at this idea for of resting on the Sabbath since creation. And he points to it again here. If they trust that he controls the forces of nature, they'll respond by obeying. When they move to a new site with no water, God has Moses strike a rock with his staff, and the water pours out. Provision. Then, 
we see his protection when an invading army attacks from out of nowhere. Moses appoints Joshua to put together a last-minute army so they can fight back against the Amalekites. Distant relatives via Esau's line. During the war, Moses stands on top of the mountain that holds up his hands and his staff. And as long as he does that, the Israelites are winning. But when he lowers them, they're losing. Aaron and Hur prop up his arms until Joshua and his army win at sundown. God promises to destroy the Amalekites for attacking his people. And guess what? They don't exist anymore. We never see them after First Chronicles, except for a brief mention in the Psalms. After the battle, Moses builds an altar and gives God a new name. The Lord is my banner. A banner is a visible identifier on display. Banners commemorate a victory for the winning team. A flag is a kind of banner. The Lord is my banner means a lot of things. God is victorious. I want to honor God's victory. I want to remind myself that God, what God has done. I want everyone to know I belong to God. Giving God his name, this name, is an act of worship. And it's also a personal statement Moses is making about his own identity. One day, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, steps in with some advice. Delegate tasks to trustworthy, tiered leadership. Moses could have said, uh, thanks, Jethro, but I've got a direct line to Yahweh. So if I need advice, I think I know who to ask. But he doesn't. He's humble and knows good wisdom when he hears it. Could God have given Moses this counsel directly? Of course. But sometimes God uses others as his mouthpiece. God commands his people to rest and trust him to provide. They've been slaves with no days off, so it feels unnatural to them not to strive and work. But this is just one more way God shows them that he's better. He's a better God than Pharaoh. Pharaoh commanded them to work but God commanded them to rest. He knows our human nature longs to earn things, to feel accomplished. But the very nature of his relationship with us is that we're the recipients, not the earners, not the doers. He is the doer, and he says it is done. Hebrews 4.9 calls Jesus our Sabbath rest. His finished work on the cross frees us from trying to earn his approval and favor. We have nothing to offer anyway. It is said that when Martin Luther was asked what he contributed to his salvation, he replied, Sin and resistance. God himself has done all that he requires of us. May we learn how to rest in him because he's where the joy is. does it for today i'm just gonna leave you all off with a uh, daily devotional you can live as close to me as you choose i set up no barriers between us neither do i tear down barriers that you erect people tend to think their circumstances determine the quality of their lives so they pour their energy into trying to control those situations They feel happy when things are going well and sad or frustrated when things don't turn out as they'd hope. They rarely question this correlation between their circumstances and feelings, yet it is possible to be content in any and every situation.
Put more energy into trusting me and enjoying my presence. Don't let your well-being depend on your circumstances. Instead, connect your joy to my precious promises. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will meet all your needs according to my glorious riches. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from my love. Thank you all for tuning in today for an episode of the Bible Podcast. God bless each and every one of you.